Happy Sunday, church family, and a big OCC welcome to all of our guests who are listening in online this weekend. Uh, We're so excited that you're doing so. This week, we're going to continue our series, Who's My Neighbor? And I've entitled today's message, We Are the Church. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like to encourage you to open up to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and we're going to spend some time in verses 1 through 11. This is what Dr. Luke penned. He says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. After Jesus' resurrection, we know that he came back for 40 days and continued to teach his followers what he expected of them. He gave these early Christians some building blocks for how they were to be the church. Um, Luke gives us his account of what took place in the days following the resurrection leading up to the ascension. Uh, Verse 11 is interesting because it paints a picture of what the disciples were doing as Jesus ascended into heaven and afterwards. Um, They're actually asked a question by two white-robed men who we know are angels, And the question is this, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Now, if you look at the NIV translation, it'll say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? In other words, they're saying, get to work. It's time to get to work. You know, the apostle Peter could have responded by saying, you know, we could get to work if Jesus wouldn't have just left us. But he didn't say this. In fact, if you jump over to Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preaching the very first sermon, the very first message on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. See, that day we know that there were 3,000 people who believed this message and were baptized into Christ. The Apostle Thomas could have said something like, you know, we could get to work if I could get rid of all my doubts and questions. But he didn't say this. Instead, church tradition tells us that he traveled to India, established a Christian church, and was eventually martyred for his faith in Christ. If you jump back to verse 8, we see that Jesus said, And you will be my witnesses, 
telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, which is where they were, uh, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Greek word for our English word witness um, is the word martus or martyr. See, these men had a genuine faith in Jesus, and that faith would lead them to the ends of the earth, sharing with others what they had witnessed with their own eyes, and ultimately leading them to their death. The men who were obedient to Christ's mission and who went on to help establish the church of Christ were part of a movement that changed the world. I want to make the case today that we still have a church to establish here at OCC. Now, maybe you're thinking, our church is already established. You know, it's been here since 1973. But I would argue and suggest that the church meeting here today is not the same one that met in 1973. It's not even the same church that met in 1990 or 2000. See, we have to keep establishing ourselves as a church that seeks to fulfill the mission that God has given us. We have to be the church today like the early church was in the book of Acts. Today, I'd like to share some building blocks that'll help us be the kind of church that God wants us to be. These building blocks come directly from the first two chapters in Acts. And for many of you, these will be familiar verses, but they'll also be a good reminder for what we're to be about. My prayer is that this message would also challenge and encourage all of us individually as we get to know our neighbors and look for those opportunities to serve with compassion. So let's pray together, and then we'll look at three important building blocks for the church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time together today, whether we're meeting here in person or listening online. Um, Lord, I pray that you would allow your word to uh, greatly affect our lives, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And as we learn about some of these building blocks, or maybe uh, just reminded about these building blocks for the church. Um, Lord, I pray that we would do our part in being part of the body of Christ, that we would uh, lead our lives by the counsel of your word and by the leading of your Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be with our families this week and uh, individuals in our church who are reaching out to their neighbors, looking for those opportunities to serve with compassion. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes today, the first truth, the first building block that we're going to talk about for being the church is this. Uh, The church needs men with a message. The church needs men with a message. Um, Today, I want to challenge our men to be men. Now, I know a comment like this will get a lot of pushback in our current society, but I would argue that this is one of the most important issues of our time. Um, We need men to to learn how to be men, and more specifically, men with a message. Jesus chose 12 men, uh, the 11 who stayed with him through the crucifixion, and then the one who became an apostle later in Acts chapter 1. This was Matthias. He's the one who replaced Judas. Jesus entrusted the message of salvation initially to a group of 12 men whom we call the 12 apostles. Their job was to be his witnesses, to tell everyone everywhere about the salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. These 12 apostles were manly men who took on the challenge and the risk of living for Christ in a time when most of the world was hostile towards the message of Jesus. From God's word, tradition, as well as extra biblical historical evidence, we actually know what happened to most of these men. 
Uh, we know that Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. So he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner, in the same way that Jesus died. James was executed with a sword. Some believe he was beheaded. Andrew was crucified in the city of Patras. Philip was martyred in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. Thomas likely died in East India by the spears of soldiers. Bartholomew was skinned alive and then beheaded. Matthew was likely martyred in Ethiopia. Um, James, son of Alphaeus, was likely stoned and then clubbed to death. Um, Jude was martyred for his faith, but we don't know exactly where this took place. We know Simon was martyred in Persia. Matthias was also martyred for his faith. Um, We don't know the exact location for him as well. And then you have John, the only apostle who's believed to have died from natural causes. See, these apostles, they still had a lot of questions after the resurrection. But even when they had questions and even doubts, their focus remained on Jesus and the mission that he had given them to share the good news everywhere they went and to make disciples who could make more disciples. You know, in our information age, we tend to want more information. But as we look at this story, we see that Jesus gave more power. Listen to what the first half of verse 8 says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. These are the words of Jesus. This is how these men were able to be effective witnesses for Jesus. And isn't this what the church needs today? More of God's power to fulfill the mission that he's given us? We need men with a message who will passionately and purposefully take that message into their homes, leading their families well. We need men with a message who will boldly take that message into their place of work, being the kind of example that points others to Christ. We need men with a message who can lead ministries in the church, teach the Bible, and encourage other believers in their faith. You know, the local church is God's chosen instrument to change the world. It's through the local church that the good news of God's grace, forgiveness, and salvation are shared. I'm sure some people occasionally come to Christ through some kind of circumstance that's unique to that individual. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul. He was a religious leader at one point in his life who sought to destroy the church and imprison Christians. In fact, he was on his way to put Christians in chains when the resurrected Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And Jesus completely changed his life. Yeah, that was unique to Paul, but I would say the overwhelming majority of people come to Christ because another Christian took the time to invest in their lives, to invite them to come and hear the message of Jesus in a loving church. I believe there are hundreds of people right here in our own backyard who are looking for a church home and who would give their lives to Jesus if someone would just show them how. I believe God wants to use you to do that. Jesus told his early disciples, um, go everywhere and tell everyone. He was calling these men to follow him and to make more disciples who would in turn make more disciples. You know, a lot of men don't like going to church and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. In fact, some of the most recent statistics say that women outnumber men in church attendance every week in every single major Christian denomination and that women are about 20% to 25% more likely uh, to attend worship throughout the year. Now, that was done by the U.S. Congregational Life Survey. 
Um, another statistic is that uh, families are more than 90% likely to attend church together um, if the man will commit to attending. And then I thought this one was interesting, that five out of six men with families in the United States um, profess to either be Christians or be connected in some way uh, to the Christian faith, but only a fraction of this number actually go to church. And this data would seem to suggest that it's not that men are less inclined to be believers, they're just less inclined to go to church. And again, there's so many reasons for that, and we'll, we'll dive into that in another message But I think it's important that we figure out how to bring the church to men and how to bring men to the church. The church has been criticized over the years for having too few male leaders where the majority of the work is done by women and children. And I think that's because women do such a great job. But it is important that we learn how to reach everyone, you know, regardless of age or stage. But I would say more important now than ever before that we learn how to minister to men, discipling men to be real men with a message. So how do we do this? And I guess in a much broader sense, as we connect this to our series, um, Who's My Neighbor? And and Serving Others with Compassion. How can we start with the little acts of reaching out to our neighbors and serving others with compassion? We have to remember that our power to face this challenge is the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 reminds us that our power comes from God the Holy Spirit. It's been said that the early church had a minimum amount of organization and a maximum amount of power. It's also been said that the church today has a maximum amount of organization and a minimum amount of power. Friends, I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a biblical church that has a maximum amount of power and the right amount of organization. Our local church is the hope of this community if we operate in the power of God's spirit. And our power to face this challenge, our power to face the mission that God's given us comes from the Holy Spirit. And then I would say that our potential uh, as a church to reach people in our own community and around the world, that potential is unlimited. Verse 8 also reminds us that the work starts right here in our own backyard and reaches to the ends of the earth. There's a guy by the name of Abraham Kuyper. He was the prime minister of Holland at the turn of the century who once said, "Um, there's not one square inch of this world that Christ does not say, mine. But he calls upon us to take the message. An important building block for the church um, is having men with a message. Yes, we need to reach and equip all people, but I would say now more than ever, we need to be intentional about reaching men, taking the church to men and bringing men to the church. Another building block for us today is doing the work God has given us. Doing the work God has given us. Um, God wants each of us to be faithful in the work that he's given us as we live and serve as part of the body of Christ. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, he was a British preacher and author. Um, He wrote these words, Too often we are over-organized and under-agonized. Uh, too often we are over-organized and under-agonized. What did he mean by this? Well, I think he's reminding Christians that um, we're to be passionate about being the church. God wants us to do the work that he's given us, and he wants us to do it faithfully and passionately. Now, I'd like for all of us to allow this particular building block, this truth, uh, to become personal by asking ourselves this question today. How can I be faithful and passionate 
in doing the work that God has given me? How can I be faithful and passionate in doing the work that God has given me? The work of the church and of individuals in the church um, is generally outlined for us in Acts 2, verse 42. Now, I say generally outlined because this verse doesn't cover everything that we're called to do as a church, um, but it's a great starting point when paired with the Great Commission as well as the Great Commandment, which everything should fall under. Um, this is what the Acts 2.42 church did. Um, this verse says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So there's some truth in this verse that I want to highlight this morning. And the first thing is that this, that the early church was a learning church. They were a learning church. Um, they listened and learned to the apostles' teaching. And I believe that we're called to be a learning church today as well. Um, we take our marching orders, our instructions, our counsel from God's word. That is our ultimate source of authority. You know, our methods will change over time as we do the work that God has given us. But the message will always stay the same. It's been said that methods are many and doctrines are few. Methods change, but doctrines never do. You know, if you were to ask me uh, what our church believes about Jesus and about salvation, I would point you uh, to what the apostles taught in the New Testament, uh, not to what other churches teach or even what my favorite preacher or authors teach. You know, I think they're right, but I would point you ultimately to what the apostles taught in the New Testament. God wants us to be a learning church, and we learn from God's word. We also see in Acts 2.42 that the early church was a caring church. They were a caring church. They, they devoted themselves to fellowship and community, caring for the needs of all those who were around them. And friends, we're called to be a caring church as well. Um, we care for each other by meeting needs in the church and in our community, uh, loving each other, forgiving each other, and ministering to one another. You know, we're called to, to care for our Christian brothers and sisters, but we're also called to care for people outside the church. Um, how we care for others as a church should be inside and outside the church walls. I think it's easy to care about ourselves and to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, we should do these things, but we're also called to do good to those who are not believers. I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, uh, that says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, um, we should do good to everyone. And do good to everyone. And then it says, especially those in the family of faith. You know, as we're learning from Jesus to live like Jesus, um, we've been learning how to serve others with compassion, uh, following Jesus' example. And we're learning how to be a caring church in the right kinds of ways. That God wants his church to be a caring church. We also learn in Acts 2.42 that the early church was a worshiping church. They were a worshiping church. You know, they regularly took the Lord's Supper and they regularly prayed together. Um, Acts 2.46 says they worshiped together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. Whether it was a formal or informal gathering, early believers were all about worship and they worshiped God for who he is. And we should be a worshiping church as well. When we come together, uh, there should be a certain kind of reverence as well as a kind of excitement and joy that that only comes from the Lord. And we come together to worship our risen Savior with that kind of joy the world or individual circumstances cannot take away. 
important building blocks for the church in the book of Acts were men with a message and the church doing the work that God had given them. There's one more building block that I'd like to share with you today. And I also want to encourage us to put this into practice when it comes to being the church. And that is this. An important building block to to be the church is having a focused mission and vision. Having a focused mission and vision. You know, I understand that all this talk about getting to know our neighbors and serving with compassion can sound really good on the surface, but in a lot of circumstances might not sound very realistic. I mean, after all, the church has been around for over 2,000 years and the world's in pretty bad shape today. But when you consider the impact the church has had on the world over the course of history, you start to see some amazing things. And we've learned that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He handed off this ministry and mission to the disciples when he gave them the Great Commission and when he gave the church the ministry of reconciliation. And it's this good work that we're to carry on today. God's given us a mission and a vision for what it means to be the church. Over the past several months, our elders have been reading a book by author Dan Spader called Four Chair Discipleship. And this has been a very challenging but a very encouraging read as we learn more about the model and methods that Jesus used when developing these early disciples. Over the course of three years, Jesus developed these ordinary men into mature disciples who could make more disciples. I believe God has had us on a journey, helping us understand, clarify, and articulate with others the mission and vision that he's called us to. I've had the opportunity to share our mission and vision with you over the past several weeks, and I really look forward to spending more time on these things in the near future as we work to implement these truths into every ministry here at OCC. You know, it's crucial that we have a focused mission and vision as a church and that these are the things that guide and direct all that we do. I know that God has more work for us to do here in the church, uh, right here in this community and around the world. And the building blocks that we'll continue to build on to be the church are found right here in God's word. And we need men and women who will courageously share the message of God's love with the lost. And we need teenagers and children who will be a light for Jesus in their schools. And this week I was reminded of an incredible story. Uh, in the 1940s, a young evangelist by the name of Billy Graham, you'll undoubtedly know the name, uh, he had a radical dream, a radical vision. Uh, he and a few of his colleague buddies envisioned packing stadiums where people who felt far from God could come and hear the good news of Jesus. Um, what's incredible is that it's estimated that 210 million people in more than 185 countries and territories have had the opportunity to hear Billy Graham preach live, while over 1 billion people have heard Dr. Graham present the gospel on TV or radio. We may or may not reach millions of people with the work that God's doing here at OCC, um, but right now we have an audience of hundreds who are right here in our own backyard. You know, I think recently um, with the new edition of our podcasts and then also our live stream online, during our Sunday service, about half of our church is able to watch online or listen online. And then throughout the week, we see over 100 people listening in or, or participating with the service. Let's continue to allow God to establish his church right here in Onalaska, Wisconsin. 
so that we can reach as many people as possible, working towards our mission of making more and better disciples. So I have a question that I want to ask as I end the message today, and that is this. Um, are you all in? You know, are you with me? Are you with our elders? Are you with your church family as we seek to fulfill the mission and vision that God's given us? I'm so excited to be on this journey with you, and I'm excited to see what God does in the weeks, months, and years to come.